Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honour at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and, for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they have all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Our Father, help me to teach clearly, help us to listen intently, and help us in the power of the Spirit to do what your word says, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, we're coming to the end of our spell in Mark's uh, gospel. Next Sunday will be our last week, looking together at Mark chapter 13. Now, we've been in Mark's gospel pretty much all through lockdown on Sunday mornings. And as we come to the point when we'll leave Mark's gospel, not forever, I hope, but certainly I expect for a reasonably long time, we spent a lot of time over the years in Mark's gospel. As we come to the point where we will leave Mark's gospel and move on to something else, it is helpful for us to take stock. It's helpful to take stock when we come to the end of a particular period of study in a book. And added to that, it is helpful to take stock as we begin to meet together again in person. Local churches, I would firmly believe, have a very important role to play now, helping to rebuild community and society, helping to model what is safe. And can I encourage us and be straight up about this, not to focus on the stuff we cannot do or moan about the stuff we need to do, social distancing, face coverings, and so on. But to set a godly example and embrace the fact that we are now able to meet together. It does mean no end of good when I chat to one of our gospel partners around the world, and they invariably will say to me, just remember that in many parts of the world, people would give their eye teeth to gather in a building with a government encouraging them to do so. 
safely, even though they have to wear a mask and all that kind of stuff. Now, meeting together in person is what God's Word says we're to do. YouTube and Zoom are great. They are great. They are really great, and they have been a wonderful blessing to us, but they are nowhere near the same. Now, please hear me rightly. One or two of you are thinking, what's he saying? I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Come back to church if you are not allowed to. Nor am I saying come back to church before you feel ready to come back. But please don't get used to being away in person from your church family. Please don't let yourself think that is just as good. It's not. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. It's not good for us. Now, taking stock in Mark's gospel, a main line of teaching that runs through Mark chapters 8 to 12, the big chunk at the second half of Mark, is following Jesus. What does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus? Who are true followers of Jesus? Now, a key verse, the principle, if you like, is Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Now, turn there in your Bibles or scroll up on your screen or whatever. A key verse, Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, that's a key Bible verse. It is the principle for every single follower of the Lord Jesus. Not some, but all. It's not exceptional, it's normal. A life of selfless suffering patterned on Jesus' life. If anyone, he says, not a description of some, but a description of every true follower of Jesus. And that is the kind of life, a life of selfless suffering, patterned on Jesus' life, that advances the kingdom of God. That's the principle. And if you want to take a verse out of the Bible, it's never a good idea out of context, but that would be a good verse to have coming up on your computer screen every day or on a wall in your kitchen. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny self and take up their cross and follow me. There's the principle, and that principle guides really chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, and 12 of Mark's Gospel. What does it look like practically within a Christian community, within a church family like Chalmers, to deny self and take up your cross? Well, let me just run through chapters 8, 9, and 10 to have that in our mind. Then we'll run through chapters 11 and 12, see what picture we are left with as we set Mark's gospel down for a few years. 
Denying self and taking up your cross in a church family means one, and this is Mark chapter 9, verse 35, there is no place for rivalry or ambition in a church. So let me read that, Mark 9, 35. He sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him, the child, in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. It means being careful of a tendency to rivalry and ambition in churches. It always strikes me that's the first thing Mark says in, or the first thing he paints in his portrait of what it means to be a Christian who denies self and take up their cross. Mark moves on. It means next, uh, being careful of a tendency to a critical spirit in a church. It means Moreover, valuing Christian service, whatever it is, highly. The preacher who serves, no more valued by the Lord Jesus than the person who spent Friday removing the weeds that had grown on the paths in the church garden during lockdown. No more valued or no less valued and the group who deep cleaned the building yesterday, that we can still smell the building, not the group. Question, do we value all acts of service equally? A true follower of Jesus, moreover, Mark 9, 42 to 50, takes sin seriously. We spent three weeks on these verses. Are we taking sin seriously? Are we dealing with stuff that needs dealt with? Will lockdown unlock? We'll need to move on from lockdown language. Will lockdown, though, unlock a particular room or area of my life to let the Holy Spirit have His way? Will we emerge having dealt with some sin? Will we emerge having spoken to someone about stuff we're struggling with? Mark goes on, a true follower of Jesus values highly the sanctity of marriage. Moreover, a true follower of Jesus enters the kingdom of God like a little child, totally dependent on God's grace in Jesus. A true follower of Jesus lives as a family member of the kingdom of God in daily dependence on Jesus. In other words, a true follower of Jesus never ever shakes off that aspect of childhood, simple dependence. A true follower of Jesus, Mark 10, 70 to 31, will give up anything and everything for Jesus if he asks. A true follower of Jesus will not seek special favor from the Lord thinking they are better than others. For even, another key verse in Mark's Gospel, 1045, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
And the section from Mark 8 to 10 concludes with a blind beggar Bartimaeus, a model disciple, a model follower of Jesus. He desperately wants to see and understand. He sees who Jesus is, son of David. And he kneels before the Lord Jesus and says, have mercy on me. And he gets up and he follows him on the road to the cross. Now Mark 8 to 10, the section before the one we've looked at most recently, gives us a clear picture of who a true follower is. It is not a picture of others. It is a picture of every true follower of the Lord Jesus. Now, we are prone to wonder, to fall in all these areas. But falling is not the same as failing to accept that this is what Jesus calls us all to be like. That list that we have run through in Mark 8 to 10 is normal Christian discipleship. Is it not profoundly dignifying and moving that the Lord Jesus wants us all to desire and aspire to live like that? Is it not profoundly inspiring that Jesus' aspirations for us that Jesus' assessment of what we can do or who we can be is greater than ours. And therein, it is vitally important to remember that it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Jesus living in us that enables us so to live. One aspect of the indwelling Spirit is that Jesus' word is seared onto our hearts. His word, which is living, as Christ is living, is part of us. It is seared into us. And that means the call of Jesus to live like Mark describes as a Christian is a call that is not external to us, it's not a call that we hear from the pages of Scripture. It's not a call that we hear from a preacher. It's not a call that we read about in a book on discipleship. It is a call from within us. It's not an appeal to our hearts. No preacher of God's Word appeals to anyone's heart. A preacher of God's Word sets off an appeal from within our own hearts to our own hearts, to our own lives. What moves us to respond to the call to discipleship is not rhetoric, but the voice of Jesus within us with His words. Some of you will know the name Peter Maiden. He was the director of Operation Mobilization for many, many years and chairman of Keswick. And he died uh, earlier this month, his funeral service this past week. 
One of the most formative evenings in my life as a Christian was a sermon he preached on 2 Peter chapter 1 entitled Go for Holiness. I can vividly remember it now. Here are the verses from 1 Peter 1 that transfixed me that evening. Jesus' words speaking to me from inside of me. Yes, it was on a platform. The Bible was read and preached. But the voice was from inside. Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness, by which he has granted to us his precious and great promises, so that through these promises you may partake of the divine nature. It's extraordinary. For that reason, because you can partake and embrace the divine nature that is in you, for that reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and godliness, brotherly affection, and with love. For if these qualities are yours, and they are, they will keep uh, increasing. Now then we come to Mark 11 and 12, and once again, as we have seen over the weeks, the theme of following Jesus is prominent. But the reason in Mark 11 and 12 for following Jesus is different. In Mark 8 to 10, the rationale for following Jesus was his example. His life of suffering service, the pattern of suffering service for all who follow him. And it's his spirit indwelling us that enables the believer so to live. But in Mark 11 to 12, the rationale for following Jesus in a life of selfless suffering for the gospel's sake is not Jesus' example, but his authority. His authority as God's Messiah King. And isn't that so practically helpful that there are times in my life as a Christian that I need to be inspired by his example. There are other times that I need to do what I do because he tells me. He is an inspiring Savior, Jesus. And he is the King Example, authority. Now let me just underscore this again. If we think the bar he sets is too high, we are mistaken. If we think the bar he sets for discipleship, all the stuff he says every Christian disciple should be is too high, we are mistaken. We are plain wrong. We are, we are taking a, an eraser or whatever it is, and we're kind of scrubbing out that bit of the Bible. He didn't mean if anyone. He didn't mean what he says. He doesn't want to dignify me like this. The Lord Jesus never asks of us anything. He has not given us the supernatural capacity to be. He's utterly trustworthy. He does not call us to a way of life without giving us the supernatural capacity and resources so to live. I think all through our lives as Christians, we read the Bible and we conclude that he must be talking to somebody else. 
Now, Mark 11 and 12, true followers of Jesus are those to submit to his authority. That's the principle. What does it look like in practice? Well, the setting, as we've seen in Mark 11 and 12, is the temple in Jerusalem a few days before Jesus dies on the cross. And Jesus faces hostile questions from the Jewish religious leaders. They try to trick him, trap him with a question. He answers their questions, and in his answers reveals what a true follower is like. So first, chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, a true follower of Jesus is someone who gives their life to God. I think it was Roger who preached this sermon. It's one of my favorite passages. Um, I'd love to have preached it, but he did it awfully well. Uh, the question back then that uh, Pharisees and Herodians, they are the members of the Jewish ruling council, put to Jesus. I mean, it's a smart question. You've got to hand it to him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? If Jesus says, yes, we should pay taxes to Caesar, he will lose his popularity with the Jewish people who are under the subjugation of Rome. If he says, no, you should not pay your taxes to Caesar, off with his head from the Roman authorities. What can Jesus See, and he says, give me a coin, just give me a coin. Such a practical example, Adonarius. And he said, whose head is that on the coin? Literally, whose image, it's the same word as Genesis. Whose image is on the coin? Whose face is it? It's Caesar's. Well, give it to him, it's his image. And give to God what is God. What is it in the world that bears God's image? Who is it? It's you. Give the coin to Caesar. Give your life to God. That's what he's saying. A true follower is someone who gives their life to God. To serve Him. That's why God created humanity. I was doing marriage prep this week. And what's marriage for? to serve God. What's being single for? To serve God. And that's all gone with humanity's rebellion. And when God fixes our broken relationship with Him, He puts back within us that extraordinary dignity that you and I are. And often we hear this as a challenging bar to claim to or aspire to. You are to serve God. What an extraordinary privilege to be called into service by Almighty God. It's a wonderful little passage that. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. What is it? Who is it that bears the stamp of God? You do. Give your life to God. And then Mark 12, 18 to 27, a true follower of Jesus is someone who knows the Bible and the power of God. The religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus with their questions. According to Jesus, they knew neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And what does that mean? Well, the Apostle Paul makes a helpful comment in this regarding his writing to the church in Thessalonica. Now, just to let your mind rumble around Paul's words as you sit and listen to the 20 millionth sermon of some of your lives. We thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, 
but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. A true follower of Jesus receives the Word of God, the Bible, as the rule of faith and life. They study the Bible that they might know Jesus better. They love the Word of God. It is their habitat like a bird in a bird sanctuary. It is their light. It is their joy. Now, that's fleeting for us all. But it's not elusive. They acknowledge the authority of the Word, submitting to the Holy Spirit who works that Word into their lives. That's what true power is, not the power of status or position, but the power of God at work in us, changing us, comforting us, inspiring us. A true believer knows the Bible and therein knows the power of God. And then a true follower of Jesus, as we saw last week, is someone who loves God and others with an all-consuming love. Asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and will, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All-consuming devotion to Jesus. And then as Catherine read chapter 12, verses 35 to 37, these few verses describe Jesus now asking the questions. The point of these verses is to make it clear to the reader that Jesus is indeed God's Messiah King. He is the human Davidic King in the line of David, God's anointed King. He is also the eternal Son of God and David's Lord. The section from chapters 8 to 10 ended with Bartimaeus acknowledging Jesus as the son of David. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Mark 11 and 12 ends with Jesus himself declaring his identity as the son of David and David's Lord. The true follower of Jesus recognizes Jesus as God's Messiah King and thus submits to his authority. And the final brush stroke in Mark's portrait of the true follower is the poor widow who gives all that she has to Jesus. Read with me again Mark 12:41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty and put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And there's the last word on these chapters on following Jesus. She gets the last word. So Mark has described what it means, what it looks like to be a true follower. Who are these true followers then? Well, don't be fooled by appearances. Don't be taken in. Don't be fooled by appearances. It is the poor widow, 12, 41 to 44, who is the true follower, not the scribes, the learned religious leaders. In 12, 38 to 40, we are to beware of them. What Mark is saying here is subversive. 
It's not the clergy who are the true followers. Or not necessarily. It's that poor soul over there. And looking through Mark's gospel, that comes again and again. Levi the sinner is the true follower in Mark 2, not the religious leaders. The Syrophoenician woman, 724 to 30, not the Jewish religious leaders. The little children, not the rich young man. The blind beggar, not at that stage at least James and John. And the unnamed woman in Mark 14, 1 to 11, the woman who is given the dignity of starting off Mark's, the first ever gospel written, Mark's account of the passion narrative is given to an unnamed woman who breaks an alabaster jar of ointment over the head of her Savior when all around Jesus there is betrayal led by Judas, one of his own. In the cap of it all, the Roman centurion who stood at the foot of the cross, acknowledging that Jesus was the Son of God in contrast to the Jewish religious leaders who mocked and taunted Jesus. The gospel is subversive. Do not be fooled. The gospel will not accede to worldliness, discipleship. Following Jesus cannot be changed to suit us. Do not be fooled by appearances. Do not fool yourself. Let's not be fooled as we look at ourselves. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, just a few more minutes and we're done. Mark's gospel has been a great big part of our life as a church these past 10 or so years. I just finished writing a book on it and wish I could start all over again. I think I say in the introduction to the book, thank you, Chalmers Church, for allowing me to preach with others right through Mark's gospel three times possibly four. I don't think we'll pick it up again for a long time. All through this week, I've been asking myself this question. Has it changed me? When I've read it, studied it, I could say it out loud, off by heart. Has it really changed me? Listen again, and I'll write this down and you can read it online. Listen again to Mark's description of the normal disciple. Let me rattle through it with brushstrokes. Every true follower of Jesus, brushstroke one, a life of selfless suffering, patterned on Christ's life, for that alone advances the gospel. Brushstroke two, there is no place in your church for rivalry and ambition. Seek to be the very last and the servant of all. It means being careful of a critical spirit. 
A true follower of Jesus, he picks up another brush, takes sin seriously, and values the sanctity of marriage. A true follower of Jesus never, ever gives up their childlike dependence on the Lord Jesus. A true follower of Jesus, here's another brushstroke, will give up everything and anything for their Savior if he asks. A true follower, as the portrait gets richer and the dignity goes higher. And this is a picture not of another Christian. It's a picture of you. The Lord Jesus wants you to believe it's you. A true follower of Jesus will not seek special favor from him. And then the picture shows you like Bartimaeus bowing at the feet of Jesus and crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, get up and follow me. And you get up and you follow him along the road that is the road of suffering service to the cross. True followers of Jesus bow down again before his majesty and submit to his authority, and they willingly and if your heart is calling you to this, that is the Holy Spirit within you, you will give your life to Him to serve Him gladly. You know that the Bible helps you know Jesus, and you know the power of God in your life. When you read the Bible, how is it that your mind and your heart are rendered at peace from words? A true follower of Jesus loves him. And I love you. And you love me. For we are bonded in a family. A true follower of Jesus recognizes he is God's Messiah, King. And the last stroke of the paintbrush is a bit like one we've had before. A true follower gives all they have to God. poor widow is a model disciple. This is normal. It is for anyone who will follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So how will we emerge from lockdown? This once in a lifetime, we hope, event. And our preachers always do that, don't they? You know, here's another significant turning point. But I think probably this is a significant turning point in the history of the world. It's a big deal. We've had time to think and reflect. I'm sure you have. Even I've had time to do gardening and eat too much. That's one uh, I was able to have a, a strong affirmation conveyed from those in the building here, face masks or not, to that comment. But we have a time to think and reflect, haven't we? In all our fear. 
The spiritual needs in our country are literally vast. The mountain is high. What will the church do? What will you and I do? Will we give our all for Jesus? In our generation now, will we live selflessly? Will we dust ourselves down and get on with what God has called us to do? The harvest fields are vast, and the workers are few. That doesn't mean ministers and missionaries. That's just a bit of it. It means committed followers of Jesus. Churches full of them who know the time is short, who do what Jesus asks of them, knowing they are safe and secure in him. And if it helps you to know that I mean what I say, and lockdown has been a deeply sobering time of reflection for me. As God asks searching questions about the gap between the public me and the background me. That and reading church history, where times were tough in the past, God woke up the church to stand up to speak out. He woke up Christians not to radical discipleship, but to normal discipleship, and thus to usefulness and fruitfulness in advancing the kingdom of God in their time and in their generation. So let's not worry about having to wear face masks. That's nothing. It's important. It's good for safety. But let's not be distracted by that from meeting. May God wake us up from our slumbers and aspire to the wonderful, dignified life that God has given us the capacity to live. May God bless you all and our church family. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these passages in Mark's gospel. So clear, so strong, so persuasive. Help us, Lord, to listen. Help us to reflect. Help us to narrow the gap between our public and our private personas. Help us to deal with stuff. Help us to value the time we have on the earth and use it for your glory and in your service. Help us not to fritter it away. And Lord, have mercy on our land. Graham has prayed for the churches in our land. Lord, reignite the fires of committed discipleship in all our hearts. Inspire us to seek your glory and the renewal of the church and the spiritual life of our country once again. And what a privilege it is to be so called into the service of our King. And we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.